0: Amen. Yeah, and so we're here this morning celebrating uh, baptism. And we're celebrating what God is doing through baptism. And as we get into 1 Corinthians, as we've looked over the last several weeks, we've seen how Paul has encouraged the Corinthian church. And, and there's been several things that have happened in the Corinthian church. One of the things that he's tried to implore them to do is to Step away from the things that drag us down, if you will. That's an easy way to uh, surmise what we've talked about. And then that we would reach toward, that we would strive towards, that we would pursue the things of God. And so as we see here today, we see that God is clearly doing things, God is clearly on the move. And so as I was looking at uh, today and we were praying about, you know, God, what do you have for us? I began to just recount the stories of what are being told through these baptism videos. Think of the journey that it took to get to this point. You see, as Paul ended chapter 15, he was encouraging the Corinthian believers to abound in the work of the Lord. And as we talked about that, that means that we would be active in the things that God is doing, that we would be in pursuit of that. I love the way that Henry Blackaby says it, and it's something that really has greatly impacted my life, and that is find where God is working And go join Him. Don't draw a circle around yourself. You know, if you're here today and you see all of this that's happening and you're so encouraged and you say, God, I want that to be me. God, I want you to move in my life. Maybe you're here and you're a believer and you say, you know, God, I'm saved. God, I've, I've pursued you. But God, I want you to work in my life. Well, here's what you don't do. You don't draw a circle around yourself and say, God, come move in my circle. Right? Because you're making it about yourself when we do that. So, what we want to say is, God, where are you working? We want to be open to what God is doing. And it's probably, it's likely in a place that you didn't anticipate. It's likely in a place that maybe you maybe even didn't desire. But the point is this is that if you want to be involved in the things of God and in the work of God, you can. He invites us to be a part of what he is doing. And so Paul talks here in 1 Corinthians that we would abound in the work of the Lord. On your handout, the first blank you'll see here uh, this morning is that the work of God always involves God using people to reach people. It always involves God using people to reach people. You see, the way that you came to the gospel, ever how that was? was through God using someone. As you listen to the baptism stories this morning, one common thread that you'll see throughout all of the videos is that God used people to reach people. And so as we talk about the work of God and we talk about God moving, the reality is there is no plan B. That you and I, we're plan A. That there is a plan and we're it. That God is not sitting around saying, well, this is not really working out the way I had anticipated. And so I'm going to have to come up with, no, you are the plan. I am the plan. And so as we think about God using us, again, we would say, God, we want to be involved in what you're doing. God, we want to be used in your work. And so that is going to involve you being used by God to reach other people. When we started D Group several years ago, one of the things that we said is that the gospel came to you while it was on its way to someone else. You see, the gospel doesn't stop with me. The gospel doesn't stop with you. The gospel continues through us as God continues to reach people that he intends to reach. You see, both James and Melissa, they talked about how God used various people in their lives including each other, to bring them to the point to where they are. You see, there's always people in your life and in my life that God is using to get you to where God wants you to be. It could be good or it could be bad. You see, God is always at work, and as He's moving you into where He wants you to be, He's going to use people again to get you there. I remember when I was in junior college, there was a ministry on campus, And uh, there was an older uh, gentleman that was the head of that, and he was an old uh, Vietnam helicopter pilot. And so when he was in battle, he had lost one of his eyes, and so he had a glass eye. And so uh, this was a guy that was not in great shape. You know, I'm in junior college, and, you know, athletics was a big thing. And so this is a guy that was not athletic. You know, he had a hard time getting across the room sometimes. This is a guy who didn't have great vision. But this was a man who loved Jesus. And I remember I was in this very formative stage of my life and trying to figure out, God, what are you calling me to do, God? What is it that you want me to do? And and for many people, maybe you would uh, resonate with this, that it's normally post-high school, uh, you know, post-adulthood, if you will, to where we really begin to shape the, the direction of our life. And so it was a big deal for me, and it was this moment to where I was really struggling with what is, what is God calling me to do? What is it that God wants me to be involved in? And I remember sitting down with uh, Brother Larry Goff, and I remember saying, I really feel like God's called me to ministry, but I don't know what that looks like, and I just I'm not sure if that's the case. And this is what he told me. He said, if you can do anything else with your life, do it. If you can do anything else in your life. Pursue everything else. If you can do anything else in your life, do that. Because here's the reality, is that God is sovereign. Now, that might be confusing to you, so let me explain. You see, God is sovereign. And God has a calling on all of our lives. And when God calls you to do something, you know what he'll do? He'll complete it. The good work that God calls you to do, he'll complete it. And so, you know, for the things that God had called me to do, I knew God had put a direction on my life. And so Brother Larry said, look, if God really called you to be in ministry, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to be in ministry, right? Does that remind you of somebody? His name starts with a J, Jonah, right? Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I bet you do, and I'm not going, right? And he goes the opposite direction, but where does he end up? In Nineveh. You see, God has called us to be a part of the things that he's involved in, and it requires us to be involved in people's lives. And, you know, sometimes you may be like me, and you may say, I don't really like people. And then I remember, I'm one of them, right? Right? And so God has called you and me to be involved in what he is doing in the lives of people, and he always uses people to draw others to himself. As we get to 1 Corinthians in verse 13, Chapter 16, verse 7. Chapter 16, verse 7. This is what Paul said. He says, I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There's a lot here, and we're we're just going to touch on a little. You see, Paul says... I desire to see you, not just in passing. He wanted to be involved in community. That was a common thread in James and Melissa's video. He said, I want to spend some time with you because in the midst of this, there's a wide door for effective work that has been opened. You see, when we are involved in the things of God, God opens doors for us to be used in the kingdom. We talk about community a lot around here, but if we want to be involved in the work of God, Paul says, I want to be with you, and then in his desire to be involved in community, a door of opportunity opened. Do you see the correlation there? That God, again, wants us to be in community together, and through that community, he opens up opportunities for us to be a part of what he's doing. You see, God places a desire in our hearts to be around the things of God. And when we are exposed to that, we are fulfilled. Melissa made the comment that ever since I was 12 years old, I wanted to be a part of a church. I wanted to be a part of a community. And so she, she found fulfillment. James mentioned his identity in being a part of the body of Christ. But when we're outside of the things of God, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. James said that when he was outside of community... His words were, quote, I was addicted to the world. See, here's one of the things that I believe is true about a lot of people is that we want to be included in the kingdom without serving in the kingdom. That we say, God, I want all the benefits of you, but I don't want to put forth any effort. And so what happened in James's life is that God began to change his heart about kingdom work. He talked about how God gradually changed him. And and I would be willing to bet that that's probably your story. None of you declared Jesus as the Lord of your life and were instantly perfect. Because that's not how that works, right? That God gradually changed you and he began to sanctify or to grow you in who he is. You know, one of the quotes that's really stuck with me for the last 20 plus years has been that God loves you just the way that you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. You see, God's desire is that you and I would be just like Jesus. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, Paul declares that reality that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And so God's desire for you and for me is not to condemn us. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John three seventeen that he didn't come to condemn the world. But Jesus came so that the world may know Jesus. That's God's desire for you. Is that you would walk in relationship with Jesus. As we struggle with this continual change. You see James used the word battle. And it is a battle for your heart. And it is a battle for my heart. You see, following Jesus was never something that he said would be easy. It's something that he said would be worth it. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, what James said is that battles are won, one battle at a time. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and you're in the midst of a battle. That battle will end. You see, we continue to grow one battle at a time. And I think this is where a lot of people get off track is when they do face opposition. And I think it's very telling. And I would love to spend a lot of time unpacking this. But for the sake of our conversation this morning, it really says a lot about Paul's perception of ministry and God's work and the presence of opposition. Because he said that this presence of opposition was a sign to him of the labor and the purpose of his labor and the reason for pressing in, not running away. You see, when battles come in our life, it is not that God is telling us to run the other direction. That is where our spirit should be saying, hey, press into that. God is refining you. God is shaping you. God is growing you. But oftentimes we run. And that's where we find our identity in moving and running and being afraid of the things that God is. Called us to, but James, as he ended his video, he says, My identity is in what? In my brothers and sisters. My identity is in the Word. My identity is in Jesus. He finishes, Paul does 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 10. He says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. You see, I don't want to make light of battles this morning as we get to the end here because oftentimes battles really leave us scarred. Can I get an amen? Right? That we, we, we find ourselves in the middle of these battles and, and we walk away limping or injured and, and the world may uh, really damage us in many different ways. And so I, I really believe what it does is it causes us to go back to the core of who we are. You know, Melissa asked a very insightful question. She said as she was going to church, she began to ask the question, why am I here? What is the purpose? She she made the comment that God is love, and so in her discovery of purpose, she discovered that God is love, that God did in fact love her. But there were things in her life that were lacking. She she said, "My home is lacking in love." You see, I I would say this morning that many of us have a lot of voids in our life. Lots of times, battles, scars, they can leave voids. And some of these voids may run very deep. But as we'll see through these videos, that God is the one who fills these voids of the things that are absent in our lives. The next blank on your handout is that we can't blame God. We can't blame God for the things that people do. And that's such a tendency of our heart to say, well, God, this happened to me and you let that happen to me. And so we find ourselves at odds with God because of something that a person did, right? That's what the battles often do to us is that we become jaded towards God because of what someone else has done to us. Can I encourage you this morning that if we blame God for what people do, God is always at fault. Because people will always be damaging us. If we continue to seek to be treated perfectly, if we continue to seek to be in perfect harmony with each other, then we're always going to be disappointed because you're as full of sin as I am. And so we can't blame God for what other people do. What it ought to cause us to do when there's damage and there's scars in our life is that we would press into God and we would come to know more of the character and nature of our Heavenly Father. I love how Melissa said this. She said that she did not allow others to distort her view of God. Is it possible this morning that your version of God is distorted because of something that a person did? You see, God used people in their lives to help bring them to where he wanted them to be. And they didn't allow their hearts to become jaded towards God because of a distorted view or picture of God that someone else gave them. You see, what Paul is imploring the Corinthian church to do is to help them on their way to peace. Now, I can't promise to you that I'm always going to do the right thing. I want to. And you can't promise me that you're always going to do the right thing. And I trust that you want to. But here's what we can't do. I can't let you define God for me. And you can't let let me define God for you. What you've got to commit to do, what I've got to commit to do as a family, is that we've got to say, I want to help you on your way to peace. I want to help you on your way to peace. You want to help me. On my way to peace. As we see the videos today, we see people that God is moving in their life. We see the activity of God which ought to ignite a fire in your heart. And you say, how can I be a part of that? Well, this morning, the way we all can start is that we would commit to helping each other be on our way to peace. God, this morning... family.
1: Now, can we just focus a minute on what Thomas said? Because I had a moment, and I'm not sure y'all were with me on that moment. And I feel like we should, you know, really just meditate on that a little bit. You You don't think so? Yeah. Out of the mouth of babes. I mean, come on. God was speaking clearly through all those videos. But in particular, there was a moment... Then I felt like something good was happening. 1 Corinthians 16. let's, Let's finish up a few things, okay? First thing, I want you to pay attention to the screen. Let's all have a moment of silence. I mean, is that glorious or what? I mean, the Thomas Principle... It's starting effect next week. Definitely not this week, but next week. Amen. What a blessing. Uh, so, listen, we've spent nine months listening to God's voice through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we get to this final chapter. And really, a lot of people would just see this as sort of loose ends being tied together, and 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 Paul is bringing things home for us. But I want you to notice in the first four verses, he's telling the church at Corinth to take up an offering to give systematically every week to support the, the hurting, impoverished church in Jerusalem. And here's what's interesting, is that what does the church at Corinth have to do with the church at Jerusalem? You know they're not they're not connected to them. They don't you know that's not their uh, responsibility per se. Uh, remember the the new young church at Corinth had just come from you know they were totally immersed in the world and they come to faith in Christ and you would think that this would be a very shocking thing for. Uh, for Paul to say to them, like, well, what are you talking about? We're, We're trying to survive ourselves. But there's a principle in that, and it's just that in Christ, hurting people are our responsibility. And what Paul's saying is, listen, there's people hurting in Jerusalem. Your brothers and sisters are struggling. They're hurting. And that's our responsibility. And one thing about Michael Memorial is that we embrace the fact that when we encounter hurt, it's our responsibility. We take responsibility for that. Whether it be, you know, the, the first day I met James and right in our first conversation, he started telling me about, you know, his battle with depression and being deployed and all these things. And immediately I knew that he needed encouragement. And I began to move towards him and encourage him we were in communication and shortly after that he had back surgery and I was in commun I've been in communication with him and making sure that there were things in his life to encourage him and support him because I feel responsible for the fact that I know that he had a need or whether it's going over to the Holy Field's house to talk to Kaylee because you know mom and dad are trying to figure this thing out and they're hurting, and so that's our responsibility. God puts hurting people on our path because we're agents of the healer, and we have to remember that we have to remember that and then Paul goes on, as Pastor Matt mentioned, some of the things going on in the from verses five to twelve and Paul's talking about his plan he's going to uh, he he wants to go back and visit with them he's in Ephesus and uh he wants to go to Philippi and Thessalonica and here's the point we've seen it's not safe for Paul to travel and when he travels he he suffers and not only that these are places where Paul's talking about going these are places where he's already established churches in other words He's already gone there. He's already faced the persecution. He's been, he's been stoned in some of these places, beaten in some of these places. And yet, and the church is there and it's, it's growing and it's established. And yet he's going back. And maybe a worldly mindset would say, well, Paul, you, you're, you're, you've already done that. Like it's not worth it. Don't go back to somewhere you know that's going to be problematic for you. And then on top of that, he goes on to start talking in verses 10, 11, and 12 about sending Timothy, his young son in the Lord, into these hard places and sending Apollos into these hard places. And he's saying, look, when, when I send Timothy and he comes through or Apollos comes through, they're going to need your encouragement, and your help. You, you show them hospitality. You help them. You minister to them. You be a blessing to them. Wow. You don't have to do this, Paul. Timothy doesn't have to do this. Apollos doesn't have to do this. But here's the point. The point is that in Christ's true community is always marked by sacrifice for the gospel's sake. You see, if we're not willing to sacrifice for the gospel, then we're not really in community. We're just in a, a relationship or an acquaintance. But... See, Paul understands that there's an urgent need to get the Word out and that sometimes we're going to have to be an evangelist to people who want to hear and even those who don't want to hear. Yeah, that's what James said. And then Paul does this. He, he, I think, sums up the whole book in two verses. He sums everything up. He brings together all, think of all these things we've talked about. Yeah, this church, they struggled with sexual purity. We've had conversations about marriage, singleness, personal entitlements, the use of spiritual gifts. Then the chapter 15, the implications of the resurrection. And all these things, he translates all of that theology into this sort of one practical Summary, where he says in 13 and 14, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. I mean, what would Paul say to this young church after he's given this huge part of his life to them and how they've struggled with identity, especially as new Christians? What We, we learned so in depth Through this journey that if you don't know who you are, you're going to behave like who you were. That identity is so critical to a life in Christ that we have to know who we are in Christ and what Christ has, has done for us. And so he tells them, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. See, we all have a past. All of us have a past. All of us, we all know how life has derailed us and hurt us. We, we all know. You know who else knows? Your enemy knows. He knows the things that have caused you pain and hurt in your past. He knows the things that have been struggles for you, issues with you. And he's going to use those things to try to come against you today. And I think there's, listen, I want to I give you three examples and then I want to give you a A warning, okay? About trying to stand fast and be strong. First example is that the enemy is going to try to convince you that your past isn't forgiven. That's called condemnation. He's always going to be trying to get in your ear and always going to be trying to get a foothold in your life to convince you that the past isn't isn't the past. The second example is he's going to try to convince you to repeat your past that's temptation he's going to come with condemnation but then he'll try to get you to repeat it. he's going to come with temptation and the third example is he's going to try to convince you to boast in your past that's self-exaltation so beware of condemnation beware of temptation and beware of self-exaltation Because listen, here's the warning. We tend to be least watchful when we're most comfortable. I pray that as we leave the lessons we've learned from God in 1 Corinthians, we would recognize this truth in our life continuously. That we are least watchful when we're most comfortable. Beware you have an enemy who seeks to destroy you. And when you're comfortable... You're in great danger. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, For we've been united with him in death, death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, that's what's true. That's what you need to remind the enemy of every time he comes against you. Every time he tries to tempt you. Every time that you let your guard down and you sense that he's after you. Be reminded to stand strong. Be reminded that you're no longer enslaved to sin. That the old sinful self was nailed to the cross of Christ. And then he says this last thing in verse... 14, Let all that you do be done with love. Let it be done with love. You know, the longer that I live, here's what I believe. I believe that everything in life is a spiritual issue. Everything. You know what life is? Life for a believer is just one long mission trip. And every day is a short-term mission opportunity. Every week is a short-term mission opportunity. You know, as a Christian, everywhere we go, everything we do, it's a mission. And it has a reason and it has a purpose. But I'm telling you, if, if, if we're going to really get this truth embedded in our heart that let everything that we do be done in love, we've got to understand that every problem is a spiritual problem. Every victory is a spiritual victory. Every detail of our lives, every experience that we encounter in our lives, they're all spiritual threads that God is weaving through our lives to create His good work in us. It's spiritual issues, and this is what I'm telling you, is that this principle of doing everything in love, where I see it most overlooked is when we're chasing the physical and ignoring the spiritual. I'm telling you, stop looking at what's happening. Stop looking at the way someone's behaving. Stop looking at the things that are happening to you. And understand that all of those things are not about those things. It's a spiritual issue. Remember, Kaylee said this. She said, I prayed. I read my Bible. I went to a Christian school ever since I can remember She said, the life I've been living didn't bring me any joy or any fulfillment. See, when I went over to Kaylee's house that day, you know what I knew? I knew she didn't have a doing problem. Her problem wasn't what she was doing. It was a spiritual problem. And then at the end of her video, she said, Kaylee's different now. Jesus got her. Man. You see, listen, tomorrow you're not going to get up and go to secular work. You're going to go to spiritual work. There's no difference between your vocational work and God's work. If you're in Christ, everything you do is about Christ. And it's all in Christ. See, everywhere we go is a place that God sent us. Everywhere. Every gas station, every store, every stop, every situation, circumstance you're, the people that you encounter, all these things, where, where, wherever you go, listen, God sent you because he, you're his ambassador. Everyone that we meet is a person God sent us. Those people don't just intersect our lives for no reason. It's a spiritual issue. But so many times, we just get lost in the physical. And we're not thinking about the spiritual ramifications of what's going on. Why is this person here? And then when things are hard, we have to remember, listen, every problem that we encounter in Christ, it's an opportunity that God gives us. Listen, it can't be any other way. If God is a God who works all things together for His glory, for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes, then the struggles that we face, the trials that we face, listen, they're hard and they're real and they're painful and they're hurtful, but God is at work. There's opportunity in those. God doesn't do anything for nothing. So Paul says, let let all that you do be done with love. You know, why, why doesn't Paul say, let all that you do be done with obedience? That would be good, but that's not what he said. Why doesn't he say, let all that you do be done with wisdom? That would be good, but that's not what he said. No, because Paul is, is driving and pressing into what we've already learned Remember in chapter 13, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. See, if everything in life is a spiritual issue, and it is, and everything spiritual must be done in love, which it does. Then what's true is no matter how gifted, no matter how devoted or talented we are, the effectiveness of everything about us hinges on how we love. Everything. Everything. This is why we love baptism Sunday so much. It's because we we get to we get to live in these stories. Because everything's spiritual. So what's your story today? What is your story? What's God saying to you? What's God calling you to? What's God moving you to do? Did you spend last week just operating in the physical world, missing the reality of all the things that were going on around you? As you listen to those baptism stories, did you resonate with them? Did you think about, look at how the same God works uniquely and creatively in so many different ways in people's lives, always to bring us to Him. Were you reminded of how God's worked in your story? Or were you sad because you you haven't yet surrendered your story to him? I want you to know we were created for this, to live stories that embody his love. That's why it moves our heart, because that's what he made us for. The greatest things about my life are the people who, who operated my life in love. The greatest thing about your life is the people who operated in your life in love. And the greatest things I get to do is love you and love other people. And that's the greatest thing you get to do. Because that's how God loves us. So let's stand as we end today. It's been a blessing to be together. But let's remember this very important thing, that the story's not over, is it? It's not over. As long as there's breath in our lungs, the story is not over. God loves you. He loves you. And He wants you. And if He's calling you to Himself, then I would love to have a conversation about the spiritual things that God's doing in your life. I'm going to pray. We're going to be dismissed. And then,